What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Pitcher Bet Podcast. I am your host, Matt Guest. With me out in Las Vegas, just touched down a day ago from Denver, Colorado, is Matt Morris. You are two for two this season going to Packer <laughs> games and watching them look shitty, which is going to be the theme probably of our yeah, entire and, season, um, which is okay, I'm, but how know, are you doing, bud? Since I don't have the, the mojo this season, I'm very happy we decided not to fly into Milwaukee for Thursday night's home opener. Uh, I don't want to rub any of that off on the new Dame era. <laughs> and uh, yeah, dude, Denver was um, Denver was cool. And I will never be back to watch a Denver Broncos game. Uh, no disrespect to the Denver fan base. Just, uh, yeah, not somewhere I ever desire to ever go again. Your fans are very nice. I actually find it more condescending to have, have fans be nice to you and then chuckle about it when their team is horrendous. I'd rather Raider fans like just scream at me and be like, wow, we're angry. Like, yeah, it would be too. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a good experience. Uh, I loved having the opportunity to watch them live again, just because it's, you see things that you normally don't see, you know, you see things that you can, you just cannot see on television. And I think it's a really good way to evaluate a team. Um, I'll tell you the Packers are young and they have a lot of work to do, but I will also say this. Bronco fans, you really should have been rooting for a loss because your team is absolutely garbage. And the only thing that's going to change the next five years, it's not Sean <laughs> Payton. It is definitely a top draft pick. And um, that was my takeaway. Like them winning does not help them at all. Yeah, they were definitely a loser by winning. Um, we're going to talk about the Packers a little bit later in the episode, but you and I are both talking about it before eh, it might not be that bad to maybe lose the rest of them <laughs> um we'll see but before we get into football we did want to follow up on what we had talked about last time we basically <laughs> wrote in a texas rangers philadelphia phillies world series in the open last week and uh the rangers did work but wow did it not take an easy effort for them to clinch their World Series berth. And then about, I don't know, two hours before we recorded, maybe three now, it's kind of late. Uh, <laughs> the Diamondbacks shock the baseball world, win two games in Philadelphia. And we have now set a matchup of the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Texas Rangers for all the marbles in Major League Baseball, man. Yeah, what are I, your thoughts on that? I'm shocked. That the Diamondbacks are here. Uh, I'm. It's almost like I'm in, living in a dream. But Matt, we talked about this with the Phillies and my concern: if they stopped hitting home runs, what would happen? And here we are, right? Like mm -hmm. the bomb stopped being hit, and the Diamondbacks, scrappy team. We talked about this before the season started. How to win? Well, they very much so follow that that methodology. If you look at Corbin Carroll and you look at Cattell Marte, like base hits doubles stolen bases that's the new age of baseball and in a seven game series it played better than the big time spending bopper game um and it's it was it was beautiful i i don't know what to expect out of the world series i really don't because neither team it has pitching as a strength i think the rangers probably have a slight edge because i think they're a little bit deeper i mean brandon fought was a joke of a player most of the season after he was brought up for the first time. And here he is in the postseason providing really big innings. Um, but I'm very excited for Corbin Carroll, for Kettle Marte, um, Christian Walker, Zach Gallen. I think Zach Gallen's going to have a very good World Series. But on the other side of that, this Rangers team 
is hitting the home runs. I mean, Adolis Garcia is pulling the best impression of Jorge Soler from the uh, the Braves championship that I've seen in a while. I mean, he's just on fire, five home runs in that series. It's going to be really challenging for the Diamondbacks because they have to go up now against the power, but I will say the same thing, and I will, re- I will revert it back, which is like if the Rangers stop hitting home runs, they are also in trouble. Um, last takeaway I have, and, and this was just the first thought that crossed my mind when the Diamondbacks clinched tonight, was really appreciate this World Series trip. I know that as a fan base and for a baseball fan base perspective, like this wasn't expected, but they are here much earlier in their rebuild than expected. And I always revert back to this may be the only chance you're actually going to have at a world title. I think back to the 2011 Packers when they made the Super Bowl run. And I was thinking to myself, well, if we don't beat the Steelers, it's okay. We're going to be back multiple times. And I'm going to start thinking to myself as well, from Joe Burrow's perspective, the Bengals fans might be saying that in 10 years. You know, that was our only Super Bowl with Joe. And from a baseball stance, the Diamondbacks are here today in the World Series now. Like this has to be an opportunity. You have to feel every ounce of you that like this is a must, must win as a fan because you may not come back. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you see it all the time in sports. A team that came to my mind, we were discussing this getting ready for the podcast today was yeah. that Colorado Rockies team. I don't know what year it was with Troy Tulowitzki, and they were this super nice, young underdog story that happened to find themselves in the World Series after this amazing run, get swept by the Red Sox. And it's like, oh, no big deal. They have really good guys. They'll be back, you know, and they just got close, didn't make the playoffs. Injury here, Tulowitzki hurt. Next thing you know, they're getting passed by the Dodgers and the Giants again. And that was it, right? For Phoenix isn't a small market anymore, but for we'll consider them an in quote small market team, the time is now. Um, and that basically is going to lead us into our first thing that we wanted to talk about with football today is the time is now for some of these favorites. We are now six games ish into the season, right? Six, seven games for these teams. And we've really seen the good teams separate themselves from the rest of the NFL, right? We're looking at the top of the NFC. It is who it has been the whole time. The Niners and the Eagles, right? Obviously, we have some other teams on the outliers. We were talking about the Lions last week on the podcast. They're still up there, but I think it's still clear as day, even with the Niners losing to Minnesota last night, that those are the two top teams. And then in the AFC, outside of Kansas City, who we all know is very good, is the Ravens, Bills, Bengals, and now the Miami Dolphins. And To your point, man, I think the first thing we wanted to touch base on is for for these AFC teams more than the NFC teams, like what do some of these teams need to do and why is this year so important for those specific teams to go all in to try? It's back on everything that we've talked about through the years of doing the show and especially from like a football relation, which is roster construction, right? You look at the Eagles, you have a, in my opinion, Hall of Fame center. You have a Hall of Fame right tackle. Kelsey and Johnson do not have much time left in the league. They definitely do not have much time as elite level Hall of Famers playing on the offensive line because age is definitely not in your favor at that position. This could be Kelsey's last season. And yes, Kelsey's just a center, but he's, the, in my opinion, the best center in the league right now and has been for a little while. 
Johnson being an all pro again, hall of famer protecting that right side allows a lot of different run action also allows Jalen to sit a little bit easier in that pocket. The Eagles have to capitalize while they have those two players on their team. Once they're gone, that line shifts and changes dramatically. You look around the league again, Dolphins perspective, roster construction, two has got to get paid. Well, you've got a lot of big contracts. You've got Howard and Ramsey on the defensive side alone that are eating big time cap money because they're shut down corners. You've got Tyreek Hill, who you're paying. You're going to have to pay Jalen Waddell. And yes, this offense is really exciting right now, but what happens when you start losing some of these pieces? What happens when Tua has to do shootouts every single game and put up 45 points? Pressure is a little different. And I think I look at the bills as well. Like at this point, we've decided to pay Josh Allen. Well, what happened? Consequence was players on the defense had to go. And what happens when the defense goes, you kind of lose your identity. And now you're just stuck in limbo. And that's exactly where we see them. The same problem could very well follow the Bengals as this offseason comes and Higgins leaves, other names leave. And now it really is on Burrow's shoulders, much like it's been on Allen's shoulders. And we've seen how that goes. Yeah, absolutely. And I, when we were making the list of the top teams, is I was just really thinking like, man, the Bills are an average ball club, right? An average team with a great quarterback. Now the money's warranted for Josh Allen, but how many times can he wave his magic wand to bring them back and try and get them a win and have Mac Jones go down the field and score a touchdown to beat them, right? Like you're going to see this pattern repeat itself throughout history with the Bills. It's going to happen, as you said, with the Bengals after this year, the year after that. It's just going to be the Burrow and Jamar Chase show, right? They're not going to have anyone on defense. They already lost Jesse Bates. And I think out of all of these teams in the AFC specifically, it looks like the Ravens have set themselves up for at least a little bit more short-term success. And I mean the next two to three seasons, right? They've paid Lamar Jackson. They've loaded the offense with talent, but a lot of young talent that they don't need to pay quite yet. And they've also locked up guys on the defensive side of things. But I think we can just pick and choose between all those teams, a guy here, a guy there, an all pro there, a pro bowler there that definitely won't be there next season. And the window of opportunity is now. And if these teams don't capitalize on it, to your point, we'll have what we as Packer fans went through with Aaron Rodgers, right? So close, but no cigar for 10 years. And I think right now the team that should be the most scared of well, and I find something really interesting though. as we talk about this, and it, it all reverts back to money. You have some of the best teams in the league right now, the Chiefs, the Ravens, the 49ers. I would put the Eagles in there too, and I'm, I'm, this is a tight end conversation, but Goddard just isn't on the level these other three are. Mark Andrews, you have Travis Kelsey, and the reason that I bring up the Bills is because you drafted Kincaid. So um, 49ers as well, Kittle. All of these teams are still saving money with one of their top targets being a tight end. While you have Devontae Adams out here making $30 million a year against the cap, you've got Travis Kelsey making, what, 20, 18? You know, we'd have to look it up, but around there, that's $12 million that that you can go out and pay a free safety, pay a corner, pay a rush edge. And you see the success of some of the best teams in the league. They all have top five tight ends. I mean, it's pretty remarkable in a lot of ways. And I find it interesting that the Bills drafted Kincaid because I think they see it as well of like, 
well, listen, the game has to be running through the tight end position. That's that's what the best teams in the NFL are doing right now. Eagles are a little different, but Goddard's a very good tight end. But you're saving money. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think that's the biggest piece for a lot of this is your ability to still have a, a number one target, but save that money. And the last thing I'll just wrap this up with is it's really also unfortunate. We're experiencing this as Packer fans this season. Now we're not contenders, so it doesn't so much matter, but the Bills really were contenders, and it does matter much more significantly. Just the unfortunate misallocation of money. Von Miller's injury. Can't see that when it happens, right? Bakhtiari's injury. I think we signed him a month before he tore the ACL. It's Sometimes it's just unfortunate, but then the Bills gets even deeper. Your number one corner, Tredavious White, a draft pick, an asset that you've developed, tears his ACL and then tears his Achilles. So like you've constructed your roster with the concept of we have a number one corner, we have an edge rush, you know, we have Josh Allen. Okay, that should be enough. Like we, yes, we've paid people, but like we've paid good positions. And then you lose two of the three. And we then criticize Josh Allen and it's like, but the entire construction of this roster crumbled before they even got a chance to leave the garage. Yeah, I saw a really good clip. I don't know if it's on TikTok or I saw it on the internet and uh, someone was talking about that the Bills' yeah. best win was that loss in the AFC Championship game. And I was like, dang, yeah. that is, I was like, that's a great take. Because it's true, you know, like they are best yeah. known for a great game that they lost, right? I know, I know Allen beat the Ravens a couple of years ago in the playoffs. And, you know, he's, he's a really nice player. I, I like Josh a lot. I think he's very, very good. He's top five, 100%. Um, but you're, you're really going to start to see that misallocation of funds and that GM get called out here pretty soon, because as much as we love Micah Hyde and Poyer, that's money that could have been spent elsewhere, right? You lose your middle linebacker. You are losing guys left and right on the offense. Stephon Diggs isn't happy. And you and I were talking beforehand, these teams, there's certain teams out there that are selling right now. There's certain guys that are out there that could make a difference. You know, you and I've been talking about Leonard Fournette all season. We're still kind of surprised he hasn't been signed. Look what happened for the Browns and Kareem Hunt. He's not being an elite player, but he's helping them win ball games, right? And we were both talking about, I don't know if it necessarily makes a ton of sense roster-wise to bring DeAndre Hopkins to the Bills, but it might just rejuvenate that team bring a spark of life to like, Hey, we're still in this. We want to do everything we can to get to the Super Bowl because we realize our quarterback isn't getting any younger. Our contracts aren't getting any easier. And if they could find a way to send a draft pick and pay for half that contract remaining on the year, or, you know, have Tennessee pay off a lot more of that deal, at least for this season on the books for Deandre. Um, I don't know out of all these. No, and I think we're both in agreement. He probably ends up in Kansas city. Um, we talked bills cause I, I think what you said is perfect. They need a, they need a jolt of life in God. That's probably a really bad analogy with everything that happened with DeMar Hamlin, but it's just the analogy I used. Sure was. Darn it. Um, but Matt, <laughs> I'm going to tell you, I think he probably <laughs> ends up in our currently most running and popular, uh, Instagram, um, reel, which is. I just feel like the Chargers trade for him after the Mike Williams injury and just make it super unfun. Like the last place it's I want him no to reason. end up yeah. is in yeah. the Chargers uniform. So where would he go? The Chargers. Um, but yeah, I mean, we also talked about Derek Henry possibly with the Ravens and, you know, running read options with Henry and, you know, running um, RPOs. And 
I think that would be awesome. And I really hope we get to see both of these players go to the Bills and the Ravens respectfully because that would be amazing. Like Derrick Henry getting one last opportunity to actually show dominance. Probably the only team that also would spark to life his dominance because now defenses have to play one side of the field while they're also playing the other and Derrick can feast. Because I think we have seen him slow down. I think we've seen probably his best days behind him. But in an offense with Lamar Jackson, that element of speed, that element of MVP play could really elevate him back to being a very good player, at least for one more season. And then for DeAndre Hopkins, you go ahead and you join Josh Allen, one of the best arms in the league, probably top three. DeAndre Hopkins being a jump ball possession wide receiver. This is the perfect pairing. And it would be the same nature with Patrick Mahomes, but I think as a league, we are kind of done rooting for the Chiefs. So I'm all in on Ravens, Bills to acquire <laughs> yeah, both of these sure. players. Yeah, for sure. I, I'd agree with you, too. We're, I think everyone, at least like real football fans, are getting Kansas City Chief fatigue. Now we have a lot new, a lot of new NFL fans with the Taylor Swift bullshit that are all, of course, rooting for the Chiefs now, which I think for guys like you and I that we like Mahomes, Andy Reid, we don't have an issue with them. But I, I am actively happy when they're losing on Sundays now. You know, it's just like, oh, nice. The Chiefs lost. Like, thank God. Must You know, it's so tough for you guys out there. Losing a game. I'll also, see you in the if you have okay, Jonathan Taylor uh, <laughs> and Travis Kelsey on your fantasy teams and you haven't yet changed your name to Taylor Kelsey, you are clearly making a mistake because it's just the greatest team name of all time. And everyone in your league will really <laughs> hate you because they're going to have to see that every week. Uh, so just go, you know, get in yeah, there a little bit and, and start pissing that. people off because it's fun. A little bit, a little bit. Just twist the knife a little bit. Okay. <laughs> um, another contender we wanted to talk about, we're going to kind of move into some of the recap, but was the Niners uh, lost two straight Brock Purdy's first two losses of the year. Um, honestly, the biggest thing for me was this is the first time I've seen the Niners get beat on the offensive and defensive line for an entire game. I thought that was really interesting. Obviously on the offensive side, Trent Williams was gone, but I don't necessarily think this is a moment in time to panic as a Niner fan. Or if you're got money on the Niners to win the Super Bowl, win the division, whatever it might be. I think this is actually a really good learning moment for Brock Purdy and the offense trying to find an identity of who they are. And to be honest with you, it, sh it shows that, you know, there's a kink in the armor and that he is a, you know, average ish quarterback. But I think what I actually evaluated, and I think you'll think this is funny, Matt, is that Brock Purdy is just a younger version of Kirk Cousins. Like that is who he is, right? He makes the right read, great reads, anticipation throws are all there. He can hit his guys in rhythm, hit his guys in stride. But just like any average to above average quarterback in the league, once he gets a little bit of pressure, once his main option is taken away, he struggles and maybe makes a couple bad decisions. I like Kirk Cousins more than you do, right? And I think in this Kyle Shanahan offense, it kind of is ironic but that's what I'm starting to see a little bit now as we're getting more and more games on film and on TV out of Brock Purdy is he is pretty comparable to Kirk Cousins. And I don't think that's a bad thing. It's just something the Niner fans and this team is going to have to adjust to if they do want to get back to that NFC title yeah, I game. Think, and I think and that's perfect, Matt. I, I think the idea that Tom Brady was drafted again in the seventh round as Mr. Irrelevant was ridiculous. It was ridiculous because yeah. everything we can knock Brock Purdy for is the reason he was drafted in the seventh round. 
doesn't have a cannon of an arm, doesn't possess elite speed, probably just average speed, and he's a young guy, so that speed will probably be gone in three or four years, right? Reads the, the field well, runs a system really well, coming from a good college system, playing in a really good system. Yeah, there are some similarities of Brady, but at the end of the day, he has unbelievable players around him. We also can't knock him for that. And we're only seven weeks into the season. They're, it's okay to have a bad game. It's okay to have Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Christian McCaffrey, Trent Williams. That There's nothing wrong with that. We would love that for Jordan Love. But it's a long season. Let's see how it goes the rest of the year. Let's see what happens in his you know first full season as a starting quarterback and how other teams really start to defend against him. Because I think that's the key as well. Now that teams yeah. are starting to see what his weaknesses are, this is where the real test begins for Brock Purdy. He's going to be up against that strategy the rest of the year when Trent is back, when Debo's back, when the players that are elevating him are on the field, but teams now know how to scheme against him. And I think what Trent Williams does for this offensive line, again, the le- the best left tackle I have seen in my adult life, um, makes everybody on that line better. And the money was allocated somewhere. It was allocated to him, to Kittle, to Samuel, to McCaffrey. You don't have an all pro left guard. You don't have an all pro center. You know, like these are guys that are, are making a little bit of money, but they're built up by Williams. And I think Williams is their MVP, even over Christian McCaffrey, because he really allows that line to come together. And McCaffrey, we've seen it, has thrived there. Well, he's thrived there because he has a really good run zone scheme. And Williams is really at the front and the forefront of that. Yeah, for sure. I totally agree. And we'll see what happens down the line. I I totally, I love what you said about like, we're just going to have to let the maturity and a full season of Brock Purdy as the quarterback, you know, play out here for the next team we kind of wanted to get into here and a team that you think is a year away, but is right in that division and is now tied for first place with them is the Seattle Seahawks. And they still have a couple big, big games uh, coming up on the schedule against the 49ers this year. And, yeah. And I want to touch uh, on last week. On I wasn't thrilled with this victory. I mean, you should, you know, if you're a good team, you should beat up on the, on the Cardinals, but we've also seen the Cardinals be competitive all year. So I, I don't really know what to take from this week. I just think with their record and kind of where this defense is trending, I think we're seeing a team that's going to be very competitive for a number of years here. And I think they're probably trending in Lions territory for next year, which is another full year developed with this defense, especially the secondary. I mean, Pete Carroll is proving that a secondary um, stable head coach or a secondary emphasis head coach can actually be successful in the NFL. We've seen it with the first Legion of Boom and we're seeing it with the creation of what might be his second. And that's something to be incredibly scared of from this NFC West because I love everything they're doing in that secondary, but they've got to figure out the identity on offense and I'm not seeing them run the ball enough. It needs to be, as we said last year, 35 to 40 touches a game. You have two in my opinion, good running backs. I think um, Charbonnet and I think Walker can be guys that really change a pace with each other and really control the other side of the defense. And then you have the wide receivers with Metcalf that you can play with play action. So I think Carroll being a defensive-minded coach really needs to play into his strengths. And I don't know that we're going to see that fully this year. I think they're probably going to make the playoffs, probably get knocked out first, if not second round. 
but we're really going to watch the development of the secondary into something that I think will be special for a number of years in Seattle. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's really interesting what we're seeing develop over there um, on the defensive side of the ball. It's, it's you know, Pete Carroll isn't a spring chicken anymore, but if he can really stick around for another five years in Seattle there, I think next year, the year after that, we could see this 2.0 version of the Legion of Boom. And <laughs> we'll talk about roster construction and GMs and stuff with the Packers and stuff, but the payoff of that Russell Wilson trade just coming to fruition and going full circle into, hey, we made a mistake long term in prioritizing Russ over the Legion of Boom. Let's right our wrongs and do the Legion of Boom 2.0 with the Witherspoon and the boys out there and, you know, build through Geno Smith, build through really, really good receivers. And the game wasn't pretty against Arizona. It was DK Metcalf's first game ever as a pro that he missed. So um, yep. we had a nice night from Jackson Smith and Jigbo's first real game being featured as the number one receiver on the team. And he looked good. Um, but ultimately, the team is going to go as far as Geno Smith can go, Matt. And I don't disagree with you. I think they do need to run the ball more, 100%. But more importantly than that is we can't have Kenneth yep. Walker turn. Or Rashad Penny. Person, right? We can't have him getting injured every single year. Rashad Penny go down the line of all these Seattle running backs after Sean Alexander and Marshawn Lynch, obviously, that keep getting hurt, right? And they cannot afford to lose Walker. If they go in wild card round either as the home team or the away team against the Niners against the Eagles against one of these elite teams and they don't have a 90% Kenneth Walker Geno Smith unfortunately in my opinion can't win them that game so I think what they're doing is smart they're getting they're airing it out they're playing good they're four and two right now had a really really bad loss week one against the Rams but they've seemed to overcome that super tough matchup against that Browns team man that is just scratching clawing fighting every single week with that elite defense and miles garrett and freaking tj water just duking it out for defensive player of the year those two guys are just well, this wasn't on the agenda but just seeing this is the game like bro dj tj watt and miles garrett are if there's a year to have a co-defensive player of the year like this might be it because i've never seen d lineman have this big of an impact on football games since like Reggie White, bro. This shit well, is and I will get back to it. We're going into week eight, um, and I and we saw this. Sure, I think we've seen this now four or five or six times in my life, where like just somebody disappears. I don't expect either of these players to disappear, but you know it happens where you're just no. like it's a foregone conclusion, and it, five six weeks later you're like, wait, what happened to? to him he was the guy um but yeah these two players i mean garrett and watt their teams are winning because of them i mean the steelers oh my gosh like four and two literally that's amazing like this truly amazing <laughs> first tied for they're in for they're actually in first place they're a half game back of the ravens but they have the tiebreaker on the ravens because we were beat the Ra and, and the ravens remember they beat the ravens absolutely in that most dominated game we've the ever entire <laughs> game dominated and you know why they dominated because they have a mobile quarterback yeah. <laughs> that, right like oh gosh he was able to evade um yeah, lamar was yeah i got completely off back. off track yeah. oh we were talking about the seahawks yeah, one bad and throw. 
Yeah. yeah for, first week loss to the Rams. Well, kudos to the Rams. They, ex- they highly accelerated and a far and away uh, shot our expectations out of the water. So I'm not as upset with that loss. Um, yep. I just think it's really interesting that JSN is not producing at the rate that we might, we might have expected him to. And Addison is coming off an unbelievable game. And the reason I bring this up is because I think that the big difference is it's Kirk cousin throwing to Addison and it's Gino throwing to, to Jackson. And I'm a little disappointed that Gino didn't take another step forward in the development, but I think this is just what he's going to be. And if that's the case, he's going to need Jackson Smith to develop into a very, very, very good player, which is okay. Cause I think we all agree in the world that like he can do this, but Gino needs that element over the field and that playmaker in space out of the slot to be very dangerous. And I think if he can get that, if he can get development over the next seven, eight, nine weeks, you could start to see uh, an offense going into the playoffs that you start to think maybe they can beat the 49ers if this defense can come together. Maybe they have a shot against the Eagles because right now I don't think they do because Metcalf on the outside and Lockett with his age just aren't the weapons that really bring the best out of Geno. Geno needs that playmaker, whereas Kirk can help make you that playmaker. And I think that's the difference when we were talking about Purdy now against where Cousins is now. Cousins learned over his career with good receivers around him how to be a quarterback down the field. How to f- He was almost forced to be a quarterback down the field. And I've seen that in two years now with Cousins. And I think Justin Jefferson really helped that kind of helped his confidence. Um, but sure. he's also been in games now without Delvin Cook. And it's like, well, I have no choice. Like, I, I have to throw the ball downfield. And again, I think that's because of his veteran status. And I think we talked about golf last week and maybe the week before. You know, as you get older in the league, you start to pick up and, and understand how to, your role can benefit the team. We're going to have to see how Purdy does that. And we're going to have to see how Gino does that with the pieces around him. And I think for Gino, it is definitely Jackson Smith and Jigba. Yeah. Uh, and, and I disagree with you a little bit just because I think the opportunity just has been there for Addison, whereas they have still penciled yeah. in Tyler Lockett above Jackson Smith and Jigba. And they've had him playing a little bit more of a mm-hmm. slot role, the third receiver role, whereas this week was the first time he actually had real opportunity to make an impact on the game, catches his first touchdown, had 60 something yards. I do agree with you, though, is that Gino is not on the level of Kirk Cousins. I think that shouldn't be too much of an argument. So, of course, when Jefferson goes out, Addison has the best game of his career against the San Francisco 49ers on Monday Night Football, right? Like, there's just levels to it. And uh, I think the opportunity needs to increase for JSN if Seattle wants to take that leap this year. Um, I just don't know if that's part of the game plan, nor if it's something that is, is even feasible now. You brought up Goff, and we wanted to talk about that game, right? Like last week, we're talking about, oh, Jared Goff, I said, needs to be in the MVP conversation. The Detroit Lions are, you know, up there in the upper echelon of the NFC, which I still don't disagree with it. Um, even after the blowout loss this weekend in Baltimore, I two things is I think the biggest takeaways from that loss for Detroit is one Dan Campbell still might not be at the level of a head coach that we need him to be because I don't think the game had anything to do with Amon Ross St. Brown, uh, Jared Goff or any of the offensive or defensive guys. I think they just got straight up beat and out coached. And secondly, Lamar Jackson was just playing perfect. 
There wasn't one play, decision, throw, run that he made that was a mistake, and the game was over in the first half because he played one of the best football games I've ever seen him play. And sometimes you just got to tip your cap to the better player that day. The best player on the field was Lamar Jackson, and there was nobody stopping him Sunday afternoon in Baltimore. And I, I, I'm willing to say that this is a game that we can and probably will ignore down the line for the Lions. They just got their ass whooped. And yeah, Dan and Campbell needs the to one there. weakness that concerned me and I think concerned you when we talked about them and kind of announcing them into the upper echelon was you've done this rebuild. You've done a fantastic job, except the secondary. And you can't fault them much like you can't fault the Bills for the injuries. You had Jeff Okuda at five from Ohio State. He was a can't miss. Tears his Achilles. Well, now he's a miss. Now he's not on the team, right? And he was supposed to be the guy moving forward that really solidified the secondary, which allowed them to bring in a couple of free agents, you know, like they brought in Johnson from the Eagles this offseason, who also got hurt. And now all of a sudden you have a huge weakness. And now you're good enough where you're drafting, as we've talked about it, the last half of the first round. And it's like, well, you you need to find a Can't shutdown corner. But you also are going to be running into the time constraint of we also can't pay a lockdown corner from the free agent market. So this weakness could be their Achilles heel. Again, no pun intended. Sorry, Jeff, for a long time. And <laughs> as much as I love this Lions team, it's it's been a concern that I've had since the beginning of the construction or maybe the downfall of Jeff Okuda because it's going to be hard. And Lamar being an MVP in a system which you helped remind me of being in the first year with a new offensive coordinator, really starting to find his footing and really starting to understand what this system's about oh, yeah. and how to execute it. And again, I, I think I saw it starting when you were in town and we watched that game against uh, the Steelers. He had a great game and he had so many drops. I mean, the coordinator was putting everyone in the right position. He was, Lamar was putting the ball in the right spot can't do anything about it when your guys are dropping balls. And this game was just the execution from all levels. Yep. And it, per it played perfectly against the Lions weakness. And uh, I, I don't know how to fix that from the Lions. You know, I think the Ravens, this is, this is great. You know, like this is what you want to see the Lions. On the other hand, it's like, well, shoot, how do we fix this? That's going to be something we monitor the rest of the season. Yeah, I agree. And, and I, I genuinely think that, there was almost nothing they could have done to stop Lamar uh, this weekend. He was he was playing that well. But on the flip side, though, for the offensive side of the ball, which is what's carrying the Lions, right? I didn't necessarily realize how much they would miss David Montgomery and because they are very much so a complimentary football team to their run game, play action game. And Jameer Gibbs, while he is nice and he's still developing, he is not a prototypical running back, right? He's more of a gadget guy, which works at a specific time and you know, plays throughout a game plan, but I didn't realize losing David Montgomery and that signing in general would mean so much to the team. And they, I think they're on a buy after this Monday night game against the Raiders, but they're going to need him to stay healthy for the rest of the year to help balance out that offense, to give their play action game more, you know, more credibility, keep it more legit because at the end of the day, that Ravens defense was just destroying off and all the stats that we had at the end of the game was in, in garbage time in the fourth quarter. So um, they need Monty to get back. I need Monty for my fantasy team selfishly, but uh, <laughs> realistically, I, I actually am, am shocked how much of an impact 
positive impact that signing has been. One of the well, most and Matt, I think this was a take I had week two or week one or week three. And I just want to shake my head and you know, say I'm, I'm sorry and that I was stupid, which was, you know, this is why you take a running back in the first round. And it was, I think, in reference to Bijan Robinson. God, is that wrong? I mean, for Bijan, yeah. for Gibbs, both yep. really nice players. And I think Bijan is going to be fantastic if they ever allow him to actually drive the car and not just sit in the back seat. But there's just not as much opportunity to make a massive impact, especially at 11 and at five, if, I, if I'm you know, quoting those picks correctly. And there was more opportunity for, I think, bigger impact players because the running back position, you know, as we know, it's a very volatile injury prone position. And Gibbs has already been out this year, right? We talk about Aaron Jones as Packer fans being the lifeblood of that offense. And he is, but he also isn't when he's hurt and, you know, playing with half, half health. Um, and I just, I think Gibbs is going to be really interesting to look back in a few years because he will be a great, great study. Is he the piece that helps get them to a Super Bowl? helps win them a Super Bowl? Is he the playmaker that brings a banner to Detroit or are people going to look back and say, man, you really could have taken a corner there, right? You really could have got your lockdown guy there because David Montgomery off the street is their starting running back and is the better running back right now. Um, just something really interesting to monitor. And yeah. again, I think it's yeah. a reminder why Saquon Barkley didn't work, why Zeke didn't work. You know, you take these running backs so high in the draft and it usually doesn't lead to championships. Yeah. And, and I mean, it works yeah. for a short window, right? Like Two Zeke years. was great for, we'll give him five seasons, maybe four seasons, right? Like he was very, very good. Um, and I think that's what, what the shock factor was with Gibbs when they traded up for him. You know, we were looking at the running backs. I'm still high on Bijan. I think he could have the impact there. He was sick this weekend, which was kind of weird. You know, that's a whole conspiracy theory and fantasy world <laughs> and sports betting that people are all fucking pissed off about. But um, because he didn't have an injury designation and they gave him one carry for three yards at the end of the game. Hung over, maybe? Legitimately said he was sick, allegedly. Did Calvin really call on a bet? And he was like, bro, you, you can't play today. <laughs> you, I hammered the under. No, um, so there's that, and but like I, you, you we look at the running backs from last year, and it was Bijan was the no doubter, right? And Gibbs was nice to have, and then you think of a couple years ago when we were just so fucking high on Brees Hall, like ridiculously high on him. But you know, and he goes, but you know, you know, he, we had him end of first. It's just, I, and I and I and I don't. I only say that because like sure, the only sure. reason I'm bringing this up is because what I really should have said was like top 15, like top 12, you know, like I agree huge, with you. Like that's a huge overpay. It's a lot. And like, I'm, I'm genuinely trying to remember a guy that was worth LT. it that early. And the only one that I can, yeah, 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 Peterson. yeah. Uh, the, so the hundred percent, yeah. yeah, not yeah, yeah, absolutely. That was probably the last. So guy was LT. That was you know. So was LT. Um, Ricky Henderson was not. Sure, oh, sorry, Rick, sure. Ricky I Henderson agree. played baseball. No. Uh, Ricky Williams was not right, uh, but yeah. Oh, I was thinking, yeah, yes. I uh, so and then you we you know you see it year after year like mm -hmm. Zeke and Dak made that splash right off the bat. 
you know, they did, but then the party was over pretty much as fast as it started. You know, like these guys just don't yeah. have the legs on them. Now it is difficult. At the same time, it is difficult to get one because you look at the Ravens stat yeah. sheet, bro. Lamar Jackson's their leading rusher. That is not sustainable for a Super Bowl. It's not, right? Like you, we we cannot have Lamar be the best passer, thrower, and the lead fucking back. Like that is not sustainable for long-term su- success. So there's a fine line. And it's it's what's screwing the running backs over in their market right now getting paid, um, which I think is not necessarily the most fair thing in the world. But at the end of the day, man, like you can find the Isaiah Pacheco's of the world in the right spot. You can get a James Cook a couple rounds later in the draft, right? You can find the Tony Pollards. You can find the Aaron Joneses. And to your point, maybe we look back on this draft class in two years when the Lions are like, this is it. We have to get to the Super Bowl this year. Yep. And they still can't well, cover someone on the back. And I think, right? too, I, I, I understand the Bijan Robinson pick. pick. He's, a, he's a feature back. Not being used as it yet, and I understand yep. all of that. Uh, the Gibbs is the one I have a problem with because the way I interpreted it yeah. was their offensive structure needed a player like Gibbs. That's why they were so excited when they drafted him. Okay, what did you actually need in the profile of Gibbs? Because I can find you two other b- running backs in this draft class, probably in the fourth round, fifth round, sixth round, that can do each thing. Well, in yeah, and to interrupt you, it's yeah. like, and what didn't yeah. you see with DeAndre Swift? Well, like, yeah. right? Like, you had the yeah, guy in the was, clubhouse. Yeah. I think there was an attitude. There had to have been an attitude issue or something. But, like, that's the thing, too. It's yep. like, motherfucker, you guys had that guy. <laughs> you just moved up to and you the gave him round away. on. So you gave, you gave I, you him know, away. It's, yeah. You gave him to the best yeah. team. You gave him to the team yeah, that's going to beat these, you. Like, like roster you know? construction. Like, it is. It is <laughs> roster construction. Should we just change the name like, of the pod to "Let's Talk Roster oh. Construction"? Yeah, no, but for real though, man. Like, and that's a, that's a good segue. Might as well. I'm going to skip a couple agenda items because we we're going to talk about the Eagles. I wanted to, and I'm like, the Eagles, DeAndre Swift, boom, AJ Brown, boom, Jalen Carter, boom. Like everything Howie Roseman is doing is literally like, yeah, we're the best team on paper in the front office and coached beat us. I dare you. Like they go and I think it's Kevin Bayard Bayard. I I, I always butcher his last name. They just go get him from Tennessee pro bowl, all pro safety to come in. By the way, we need a safety bad. We identify that go trade a couple draft picks, a player, go bring them in. Because as we started the show with like the Arizona diamondbacks, why wait till next year? Why? There's no point. Go get it right now. Kelsey retires. Johnson retires. And then we're in a whole heap of trouble up front, right? And they just continue day after day, season after season, playing a completely different ball game in the front office than the rest of the NFL. And it's no surprise. Like, they are my pick in seven weeks, week eight here, as the NFC favorite at the moment. So, And, and it's because of moves like this, and I expect them yeah, to make one to two more. I, I truly do. It's nice to have, be the like the base fan of a team that's not competing anymore because you just don't have the envy anymore. You know, I had the Straight envy up. for the 49ers for, uh, organization for such a long time because you know you fell into the luck 
of having the Kaepernick era when he was dominating, right? That was just so irritating. And then you, you know, you trade for Trent Williams and you build this new foundation of structure and this new system and you, yep. Fall into Joey Bosa. Fall into Bosa. You get the best head coach for a system and scheming in the NFL because he completely blows the Super Bowl. And there was a lot of envy. And now it's the Eagles. And everything Roseman does is just unbelievably beautiful because usually when you see the kind of aggression that you see from Roseman with roster construction, you also see the drawbacks. And I and I talk about that with the Rams were the perfect example. Like we're going to be so aggressive. We're going to go get a Super Bowl. We're going to win the Super Bowl. But the drawback is we're going to be really in trouble for three or four years with caps and picks. And it's going to be a dark period. And it's it's happening. They're doing better than we expected, but like this is the consequence for what they did. Roseman's not giving you the consequence. Okay, Kelsey retires. Johnson retires. Okay, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to trade up from 28 and I'm going to go to 17 and I'm going to draft the number one center in the first round because no one takes centers in the first round. All right, I'll bring in a journeyman right tackle. I'll plug him in. It's probably going to be fine because he knows what he's doing and he hasn't failed yet. It is truly incredible. And I, I, I every time he makes a deal like the, um, the Boyd... I think I just call him Boyard, Byard. You're you're right. It's it's a Byard. I think it's Byard because he was, in, in my opinion, the correctly. best Sorry. player on the Sorry, market. But... Basically, like he's better than Hopkins. He's better than Henry at what he Fuck, does. Yeah. Of course, he's going to the Eagles because why would he not? <laughs> you know, like it's a foregone conclusion, and um, right. it's beautiful. Like that being something that I hold as my foundational number one piece is roster construction. Um, he's a mastermind. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's crushing it. Obviously taking Jalen hurts when they had Carson Wentz, developing him, letting him play out those first year, that first year starting, which, um, le- leads into one of the last things we want to talk about, which is the Packers to all the people say we're homers. We do want to talk about it a little bit, but to lead into green Bay and the Jalen hurts kind of, example that i'm giving here is like a packers fans falcons fans steeler fans washington fans hey guys buckle up because guess what we need to give these young quarterbacks 16 to 20 starts before we can start writing their obituary and i'm talking desmond ritter talking love talking um your your boy out there in Washington, Howell, and Kenny Pickett even himself. He's playing a little bit better, and we cannot keep going week to week. Well, we got to get rid of Love. We got to get rid of Pickett. We got to do this because Carson Wentz ain't coming to save you, bro. Matt Ryan isn't coming out of the booth to come get you. There isn't a better option is what I'm saying, and we need to give these guys time to make mistakes and figure out if they are starters or if they're just Sam Darnold and they're going to be a good backup, right? And no better example of that to me out of the good quarterbacks in the league than Jalen Hurts. So I want to start there with at least the Packer fans, but also to like the Falcons, like fucking Desmond Ritter, bro, is a roller coaster. But let's see him in week 16, right? They still won the game, even though we fumbled twice in the red zone. 
you know, but it's just it's just those things that you're just gonna have to let these guys grow through because you don't want. Well, and I think that brings my my last point before we circle back to the Packers here, which is young quarterbacks giving quarterbacks time, and then also winning games that you shouldn't win, and what that does to the organization. And I said to you before we jumped on today, you know, there's some concerns I think from people in organizations right now. I'll just take Chicago for an example. I think after this victory on Sunday against the Raiders and a decisive victory with a second piece option that was supposed (laughs) to be losing games, the Bears could be playing themselves out of a top five pick. And what I saw from, from, how do we pronounce his name? Is it Beagley? Their second quarterback, (laughs) Bagley, 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 was incredible. I mean, he operated an offense. How we've wanted Justin... Feels to operate the offense for three years now, and he, he probably won't be in the NFL <laughs> I mean. in two years. Like no joke. Like he probably won't be an NFL quarterback. And they got a victory, and now they have the same amount of wins as the Packers, the same amount of wins as I think five other teams I wrote down when we started today. And that's something as a fan base I would be yeah. concerned about because we do have holes. And for the most part, I do believe in Justin Fields. And it's like, well, Justin needs Marvin Harrison Jr. You know, Justin needs an- another offensive lineman to, to compliment Jenkins. Um, and it's interesting, you know, like as we sit here and we judge all these players, we preached, give them time. And like that second option isn't there, but like we saw it with Dobbs as well. Like sometimes that second option can really screw your plans over as well. Yeah, for sure. But it's just, it's just crazy. The ludicrous statements you see online, like with some of these guys, man, I I genuinely, and I started commenting on Twitter and stuff. I'm like, okay, then who you want? Like, do you want Carson Wentz? Like legit. Because that's probably the best option out there on the street right now. Like, do you want Sam Darnold? Maybe, you know, like, but do you? Like, do you really want that? Or do you want to keep giving Desmond Ritter this opportunity, man? Like, and I'm whatever on Ritter. Like, I liked him coming out of the draft. I liked him at Cincinnati. He's a fine player. But, but do you really like, want, you want Caleb Mariota Williams? Again? That's you the know? question, like, Matt. Just... Because, no, no, and I get that. I get well, that. But, but it's I, not that easy. I don't. Like, it's, it's not that like, easy. I'm, I'm, I, and no, no, and listen, see, I'm, 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 totally I'm not saying that for that. Desmond, like, okay? I, I like, think, I'm not saying that for Howell. Like, back to what we talked about with Purdy. Like, C- Caleb can do things that those two quarterbacks cannot do, right? He can. But I'm putting, like, sure, putting the Justin Fields into the equation, maybe even the Jordan Loves, the guys that have some athletic ability have made mistakes. Like, you have really big question marks about him, and it's like, do you really want as an organization to just bring another quarterback into the same problem? And that was a conversation and a, and a quote this past week that Lance Briggs talked about. He was like, why do I want to draft Caleb Williams? I have Caleb Williams. Like, what am I, what are we doing here? Why would we continue to like circle through the same problem? Right. Now, I think when you bring up Carson Wentz right. and Matt Ryan, it does fit with Ritter and it does fit with Howell because like, they're more or less the same style. They're just much younger. And then, you know, for the Wences and the Ryans, they're much older. But yeah, you stick with the younger guy currently in your system, on, in your roster, and you let it ride. You ride the roller coaster that you talked about. Yeah, 100%, man. Yeah, like 
you know we're talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? Like, yeah, Caleb Williams. Yeah. Williams. Like, to, to your point. Yes. To, yes. To, to to your point at the beginning of the pod, it's yes. like you lost by winning this weekend. Like you're gonna now probably win four, maybe five games this season. You're out, right? The Packers. Out, yeah. Will probably win a couple more games too. But you know, you're looking at the Bears to your point, right? They they're actually looking decent. The defense is looking a lot better. The O line's looking good. Fields before he got hurt was looking better. They're getting DJ Moore, blah, 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 right? They might play themselves into the eighth, ninth pick in their pick. Yep. And then their one Carolina Panther went away and one Arizona Cardinals lost, lost, lost away from that number one pick going to Arizona and them getting stuck with the two pick, which I think regardless is going to be great for Justin. But I, I don't know, man. It, it's really interesting. The Caleb Williams, I'm. It's way yeah. too early to be talking about the off season, but I, I'm genuinely excited to see how this shakes out at the bottom and the hypotheticals that go into it, right, man? Because like, what if it is the Packers, Bears, like right down there at the bottom? It's like, do we bail right now? To your point of what Lance Briggs said, and. Because you, as great well, as Williams is, you're resetting completely, right? And with that reset, you're probably out an O coordinator. You're out a GM. You're like, there's a, such a much bigger change to all this because getting in Arizona, all they're doing is outing Kyler Murray. It's an easy flip, right? Like everyone who's there in Arizona, they're cool with moving on from Kyler Murray, right? Okay. And some lucky so team is going to get him. Because I agree with you. The last thing I want to say before I transition into this next little thing, which ties in, is... The reason it's so important is because I think Marvin Harrison Jr. is day one in the NFL, a top 20 wide receiver. And I think that I, if I'm the Bears and maybe if the, the Packers, you know, some of these teams where I'm like, hey, I might, I might have a guy that is so crucial. Pairing DJ more with Marvin Harrison Jr., oh, sure. that's just salivating, right? Or pairing, pairing him with the Packers young wide receiver core. So that's, that's to me, that's, that's the important thing. Yeah. Kalen Williams, it's a lottery. Let's see what happens. But next piece here, it's going to get really interesting for Carolina because they've had some really tough games. Atlanta, better team. New Orleans, toss up, lost by three, right? Seattle, lost by 10. Minnesota, lost by eight. The close games. Then you go and you play the Lions, get absolutely destroyed. Play the Dolphins, get destroyed. Okay, kind of it's what we <laughs> expected, but you could add a couple of those games go differently. And now all of a sudden we're talking about if the Bears continue to win, you're playing yourselves out of not only Caleb Williams, but also Marvin Harrison. But they play Houston. So we get the rookie yeah. quarterback matchup this weekend. Fun matchup, right? You get Shroud and you get Young. Well, is, is Young back yet or is he still out? Super fun matchup. Okay. Yep. So you get love yeah, that. He's good. You get Young, you they get Shroud. Shroud wins this game. Awesome. You know, continue the momentum. But maybe, maybe this is the start of Bryce Young's rookie season turnaround. Then you go to Indy, okay, backup quarterback. Then you play the Bears. If Carolina beats the Bears in Chicago, interesting game. You also get the Titans. You get New Orleans again. You get Atlanta again because that's a bad division. You play the Packers, and then you get Tampa for the final game of the season. Carolina could end the season with four or five wins as well. We're right now stamping them as the first or second pick, and I think no one's really looked ahead and said, well, this also is a rookie quarterback. He is developing. The team is developing around him. It's a bad team. I know that. But if the Bears continue to win and Carolina starts to even build up a little momentum, you're right. This pick is going to Arizona. Then the next pick might be Tennessee. And then everything changes with 
Absolutely, because the narrative has been the Chicago gets the first two yeah. picks. And that's, to me, not the case. Like, they may end up with the third or fourth pick and then the seventh pick. And that just does not look nearly as good as it did one week ago when we thought it was a lock. Yeah. No, I don't disagree with you. I, Marvin Harrison's great. Um, we'll get to it in the draft series. <laughs> I mean, dude, top five is all it should be, right? Like, this year. did you see the... Uh, I know. No, no. I'm just talking. I'm talking this wide receiver class, Matt. I'm talking. It's too early, Matt, but I want to get in. I want to start it right now. I know. I know. That's crazy. I genuinely think it's better than this. This Um, I just saw coming in. But I digress. The Lane Johnson draft class. And we did that. We covered this. There's an episode. So if you're listening and you want like we did a full dive and we gave them grades and like we compare draft classes. But it was a full dive into the Lane Johnson draft class. And there were like two players 10 years ago. So it's a long time ago. But there were like two players that are still playing. It was just the list sure. of names that we talked about on that episode where you really are like, damn, every year this draft class looks worse and worse and worse. Like Lane Johnson, Hall of Famer, like probably the only Hall of Famer in that draft class, but also probably the only all pro, probably the only player with two Pro Bowls. Like the list goes on and on. And we're just, I don't think we're going to see that anymore. I don't think we're going to see horrendous draft class ever again. I agree. I agree. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's there's going to be a lot more hits than misses with the style of the NFL nowadays. And just basically with the sheer yeah. math of more offense getting taken the defense, right? And if the defensive guy goes early, he's that good, a la Witherspoon for Seattle, where it's like, yeah, we took him top five because he's fucking legit. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sauce Gardner. Yeah, Stingley, too. Really very good. Just good. not so talked about. Obviously, we're going to take him very yeah. good. Not talked about because he's on Houston. Um, okay, let's move to the Packers real quick, and then we'll wrap it up. We're almost at sixty. So, um, my my, we we went to the Raiders game together a few weeks ago. You just went to the game in Denver. Um, this is my take on the on the current state of the Packers. Outside of what I said, kind of leading into that little bit of a tangent we just got on, is that the Packers are finally getting their in quotes return on their investment right now. They decided for the past three years with Gutekind's Battle for Aaron Rodgers that they were still going to make sure that they had a Super Bowl roster, but build towards the future, which is now today, right? And I think what we're kind of seeing, unfortunately, looking back in time, is that the Packers sacrificed the present and what we opened the show with today. And you need to start focusing on this year to win the Super Bowl now and sacrificing signings of J.J. Watt, Odo Beckham Jr., Vaughn Miller, and others throughout the time when Rodgers was exiting his prime, winning those back-to-back MVPs in order for today to still be successful and to have a competitive ball club. And it's turning out that Gudekins might be on the hot seat, in my opinion. Matt LaFleur might be on the hot seat. Now, there's a lot of time left in the season, but we are seeing the results of those decisions, draft picks, and hoarding of these young players play out on the field, and it's not a pretty product. I still believe there's a lot of room for improvement, and the team will rebound for a couple of wins this year, but thinking back in hindsight, hindsight, excuse me, coulda, shoulda, woulda, I really wish we would have sacrificed some cap 
and some draft picks to go get Odo Beckham that year that the Rams won the Super Bowl. Like that's the one that that'll probably hurt the most. Yeah, no, I mean, listen, I me, at least I now understand there is a fine balance to to play when it comes to going all in. I play dynasty sports. I, you know, I, I know all things. Um, but seriously, like we, we just <laughs> didn't toe the line enough. Um, you could have still had this team 90% Correct. of it and sacrificed the third round or a fourth round pick like Croft, who doesn't even really see the field. I mean, Sims was the one to catch the first down on Sunday. And I was like, wait, Sims? It's like, wait, what? He's on the team still? Exactly. Um, but you chose not to. You chose to keep the fourth and draft cross and hopefully develop him if, you know, Musgrave doesn't turn out to be a, a great tight end. And those are all things that play in. I am nowhere near ready to even consider the fact that Gudikins or LaFleur is in the hot seat. I'm just not because I don't think we can even tell what kind of product we're watching right now. And it's funny because I don't think the analogy really came to me until we, you were just talking, but... Matt LaFleur is operating, you know, from my world, hospitality, a restaurant, and he's expecting five-star service because that's his system. He runs a very, 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 very like um, systematic and in-depth system that requires precision. And he's operating his restaurant with a bunch of seventh graders. And it's just how it is. Like they're not given five-star service. <laughs> and I think when I talk to you about my disappointment yeah. after week two's victory or week three's victory where he came out and said, you know, this was one of the greatest wins of my life and this and that, but didn't really seem stoked. I was like, what the hell's wrong with him? Like, this is a good team. Like we're young, we're winning games. We shouldn't be winning. Like that was an amazing half of football. I think he knew deep down what this team is and he sees it in practice every day. Like this is a very young team that probably makes a lot of mistakes. And he's probably on the sideline just absolutely furious that he wants to run a, a five-star restaurant and he can't because we're not there yet. And the question and what I need to see answered from him is, okay, how do you develop these guys? How do you get them to operate your system? How do you perfect them to give that five-star service to run an elite level, intricate NFL offense? And if you can do that, oh my God, we're talking about the Green Bay Packers head coach for the next 15 years. But you got to give him time. You got to give Goot time to see if sure. all of these assets that he took, like hoarded, as you said, can actually develop into really good NFL players, but only through time. I'm going to give them three to four years. I will even give them, I will even give them a full regime, uh, a full um, personnel change. I will give them Jordan leaving and bringing in a new quarterback. Um, nah. Because... You should start to see the role players developing by then. You know, if Jordan isn't the guy and they have to bring a different quarterback in, you should already start to see the foundation of Romeo be, running his role and Jaden Reed running his role and Musgrave, you know, showing dividends as a second round tight end. Um, but it is far too early, seven weeks in, to say fire him. Like it is, it is way too early. And I will tell you, Matt, I. I was furious no, I'm not at the saying... play calls. Furious. <laughs> I'm not I'm not saying fire them. I'm saying they their seat should be fucking hot because for as much shit as I gave Aaron Rodgers that night that in my opinion he didn't win us the game against Tampa like 
we are now on year four of the floor being too stubborn to make adjustments through his game plan throughout an actual game and from week to week. He continues to call the same. And I agree with you, Matt. Like he is expecting in your restaurant analogy of five. <laughs> yeah, he yeah, decided to yeah. hire guys from Chili's. Right. Yeah. Like that's like that's that that's where we're at. Like I, I think that's a really, really good analogy, right? But then stop expecting your Chili's servers to offer I agree. I good I, I get servers, I get what right? you're saying. And make sure they don't yeah. fucking spill on the table. Like you change, you you, you it, need yeah. to you need to adjust. Eat some humble pie and stop saying, yeah, I need to look into that. You had a fucking buy. And you came out and did the same thing yeah. against one of the worst defenses in the league and made them look elite. You made the Raiders, who just <laughs> lost to a guy we couldn't pronounce his name 25 minutes ago on the show, for the Bears, look elite, right? And form and run up and down the damn field on them, right? So, like, there are things that are inexcusable to me. And I think if we show back up this weekend at home against Minnesota, run the ball on first down, run the ball on second down, and try and throw the ball in an obvious passing down on third and seven, 15 yards down the field, I'm going to fucking lose. I, okay. So, like, that's that's where I'm at on it, right? And and so that's 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 more or less where I'm on the, the hot seat thing is, like, we need to start holding him more accountable and not just – Oh yeah, I, I need to be better. I I, like that, I get what you're just, saying. It's just um, and, I, and listen, I can be on board with that for the floor. I can't be on board with that with Goot, and I I can't. I he is drafted far better than Thompson drafted. He got really unlucky with some signings, like the Bakhtiari signing. I will never forget the timing of that injury. That was supposed to be Rogers or no yeah, Rogers. I have a top five left tackle. A young quarterback can step in and have a way better position than all of the other young quarterbacks in the league. And it didn't work out. Aaron Jones, right? Being super injury prone yeah, and sucks. being our number one offensive target. Damn, that just sucks. AJ Dillon being drafted to be, hey, the replacement when Aaron, when when Jones is hurt, total bust. Like that I can blame him for, but everything else, like I need to give him time to see what these players are. And if they're bad, I will fly up there and walk him out of the building. I will. <laughs> but you can't also you can't also ignore the fact that he screwed up the relationship with Devontae Adams too and couldn't get that done. And I, didn't listen, the listen though. That he ended up there there is, but like there's, Devontae there's and Aaron Rodgers like, would have I, destroyed this organization. With the amount of money we had already pushed down the road, if we kept those two we are talking about a decade long of losing. Decade. I mean, it, it, look the Saints, like eh, they're still maybe. in cap hell and look how awful they are. We beat them. Like they're screwed. And it's because yeah. of Drew Brees and Sean Payton, right? Like Right. I I think he did what was best with Rodgers and Adams because he's trying to build fiscal team. Um I don't even want to think about what the Packers would have been if Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams was on this team this year. Our cap hit next year would be like minus $4,000 billion. It would just be bad. <laughs> no, I, I I know. I, I get what you're saying. I just – that's just where I'm at, you know, and we'll see. we got a lot of season left, you know, and it's just – you know they're working hand-in-hand, hand, and it's like if we don't, like – Put fucking Van Ness in the game. You you know what I mean? Like you draft him in the first round. Like just you have these young players. 
put him in a position to succeed. And if Love throws four interceptions because he made the wrong read, then we can start looking at him. But everything that you're seeing from in-person games and on the TV copy is it yeah. looks like everything's so damn difficult for them. And that's just an unfair position to be in. Hey, let's let's just simplify the menu, baby. Let's just baby go back baby ribs. back. You know, I want my yep. baby back, baby back, baby back. You know, just just a little Chili's barbecue. Sauce. Well, I mean, you know, maybe a cheap. We've margarita. seen Jordan thrive in Put those situations, right? He he thrives under pressure in a up tempo style. And I I get what you're saying with Goot. Like it's his responsibility to hold the floor accountable. And I. And I don't know where that fine line is, right? When do you call him in and say, listen, I don't give a shit if I hired you to be the smartest guy on the field. So you got to stop. And if you don't, you're gone. Like we can be best friends, but like I have to tell you that this is a problem. Like what week is that? To me, that's if, if he comes out this week and does the same shit, he's in my office and he's holding the tray for me with water on it for the next four days and I'm, he's going to be my little, my little dog because you clearly can't see it yourself. And that's a problem that we've known about LaFleur. So like this is his opportunity to change, but it's also Gooch opportunity to, to, to be his boss and in turn save his own job in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, I swear if they go a fifth game in a row without scoring a point in the first half and you feel the same way we might have a problem next week i mean it's minnesota (laughs) um it's going to be a really good opportunity to spread them out you know it's going to be a really good opportunity to really like to make a drastic change because they're not very good and if they come out and they execute the same offense they have for five weeks and they absolutely dominate i'm going to be just as pissed think about 35 up and Jordan can go 25 sure. for 30 with four touchdowns. If they run the same shit they've been running, I'm going to be very, very upset because it, it doesn't, it just doesn't work I agree. on a week to week basis. I would rather, like you said, split them out, just throw it 45 times, throw three picks, four touchdowns. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Let's throw just see what you are. No Let's, yeah. Like, and that was the last takeaway Matt, that I said to one yeah. of the guys at the game uh, that was just sitting around us. I was like, I, I can't even tell you if this guy's good or bad anymore. Cause he, he just isn't given the opportunity. I have yeah. no idea. You know, I, there are moments in the season where I'm like, damn, he looks so good. There are moments where I'm like, eh, that's not very good. But like, I haven't seen a full game to really evaluate him because Matt is not allowing it. Totally. Take the training wheels off, pal. All right. That's probably that's probably more than enough for our audience there. Um, <laughs> all right, guys. We will uh, we'll see you next week. You can catch us on uh, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at PitcherBetPod. I'm Matt. That's Matt. See ya.